Hi, this is Rachel on Recovery. We've got a special guest, Meredith. She's from Tiger Lily uh, Resources, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself, and then she's going to answer some questions for us. Hello, Rachel. Yes, uh, my name is Meredith, and I am the founder of Tiger Lily Resources. We are a St. Louis-based nonprofit ministry, soon to be expanding nationally. Um, Started doing ministry work back in 2013, and started doing sex trafficking outreach and fighting that in 2017. And uh, we have grown definitely in ways that I could have never imagined. And we are up against the fight of our lives, really, uh, with some serious evil that a lot of people just can't even imagine. Fair enough. Um, So how did you get into stopping sex trafficking? Well, I am a survivor. And I honestly did not connect myself to that uh, for probably about five years after I got out of the life. Um, I was in a, I was at a friend's house and we were watching a documentary, uh, which I highly recommend if you are interested in knowing more about sex trafficking. It's uh, Nefarious Merchant of Souls, and it's put on by uh, Exodus Cry. They're another ministry that's out of Kansas City, Missouri, that is a global abolitionist for fighting human trafficking. They're absolutely amazing. Uh, But I was watching a documentary, and uh, they go all around the world highlighting what it looks like in various countries, and they landed in America, and they told the story of a girl, Annie, that was in Vegas, and when she told her story, that's when I connected that, oh my gosh, that was my life, and it just hit me like a freight train, and uh, I knew I had already been in ministry, uh, but we were serving single moms uh, because I kind of walked myself into the life as a suddenly single mom. I was married and with my son's father for 13 years and uh, became suddenly single and my world came totally crashing down around me and totally wiped out all of my self-worth and I was in just the darkest place of my life. So I walked into it um, and then it quickly took me into it further. Uh, so when I started the ministry, I intentionally was serving single moms because I didn't want them to get to a point where they felt like that's all they had. And I knew that if I was going through that, that there was thousands of other moms that were, so that's what we were focused on. But it wasn't until I saw that movie that the Lord totally wrecked me and dealt with me and basically was like, okay, are you ready? And I was like, Am I ready? I didn't say no, but I was, I questioned and I was like, what do you mean? Am I ready? Like, that's my story. Nobody knows that I made it through that. And uh, he was like, yeah, but I didn't save you for you to play it safe. Are you ready? And that was the start of my yes to him and uh, fighting human trafficking since then. And it's been absolutely amazing and I will never stop doing it. Um, what are some, what, what are things that are most common misconceptions when it comes to sex trafficking? Uh, they did a great job in marketing <laughs> and marketing the deception. Um, they, they always coin uh, the victims as younger, helpless uh, white girls who are non-English speaking um, that are, you know, either taken from a country brought here or they're chained up and abducted. Um, that happens. Sure. But the, the general practice, I guess, is a very slow, slow process. Um, It's definitely traffickers knowing how to build trust and build relationships with their victims over time. 
and they're very patient because they know how lucrative that one victim is and they really take their time. So yes, it, abductions do happen. Uh, but all in all, it's a very slow process of a relationship. What are something, Oh, what are some signs to notice that a child is becoming a target for sex trafficking? Um, definitely the phones and their hands play a huge role today. Um, we start giving kids phones, you know, the second they start mumbling words to kind of occupy them. And so they know phones better than most adults do. Um, so it's like second nature for a 12, 13 year old to just have her phone or his phone doesn't, doesn't differentiate between boys or girls. Um, the more on social media that they are, um, you know, even innocent postings of, you know, a cheer competition or a soccer game or anything like that. Um, or if it's a, a comment from a child of, you know, oh, me and my mom got into a fight today and I'm just so tired of her. Um, there's trolls that go around on social media and look for posts like that. And they try to befriend um, those children. And a lot of times they'll pose as another child um, or just somebody that gives them attention and gives them um you know, validation. So pay attention to the devices in their hand. What apps are they on? Who are they talking to? You might know their friends face to face and that's great, but they have a lot more friends in the palm of their hands. And that's a lot of times that's the fishing line. That's where they get them from. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on, um, if children get new friends and then, and I want to say like children, maybe like preteen or, or young teen, um, minors, and they start disappearing, you know, for hours and hours at a time, come home with different um, new clothes or new items, new another phone, things like that. Um, just be very observant of who they're talking to and what their possessions are. Um, what are some of the aftermaths you see in recovering from sex trafficking? A lot of trauma, um, a lot of distrust. Um, definitely in the fight or flight or freeze mode, um, emptiness, brokenness. Um, there's just so much healing. There's just layers and layers of trauma that go along with trafficking. It's not just the act of the sexual violence, but it's absolutely emotional and verbal and in substance a lot. You can't do this, um, sober. So the traffickers will introduce them to alcohol and drugs, um, so there's just layers upon layers upon layers of healing that need to happen and, uh, definitely a broken heart above all things. So broken trust, broken heart, and a lot of trauma. What support systems are in place for those recovering from being trafficked? Um, there's some, I would, in my opinion, definitely not enough. Um, we are getting better. We're getting, uh, more I guess, well-versed of services that are needed. Um, but you know, there's the front line is always law enforcement or healthcare. That's the first place that they might come across somebody that needs help or that is hurt. Um, so it's very important for them to know the signs of what they're looking for. Um, cause they could have them right in front of them and not even have a clue. And then that person just slips away when they could have intercepted them. Um, there are, you know, programs that are specifically for traffic victims, but they're very few and far between. Um, again, they are growing in number, not quickly enough, um, and not in depth enough, um, but they're getting better. So a lot of times we'll find services that are 
blended uh, blended services. So you might have a recovery, a substance abuse recovery program that also integrates trafficking, healing, and trauma trauma care. Um, you might have a domestic violence shelter that is integrated trafficking. Um, but it's very important to be able to have a list a good, strong, vetted list of programs that are specifically for the needs of human trafficking victims because they're just so different than just a domestic violence or just substance abuse. I'm not demeaning them by any means, but if you add all of those complexities together, it's just a whole different ballgame of program that's needed. No, I can totally see that. Um, what are things you would like to see put in place for software designers to help prevent sex trafficking? Um, I better first, the one, the, the, the things that are in place already, mm -hmm. um, I'll give an example and I hope it's okay to name names. Um, cause this is one of the biggest perpetrators is Facebook. Um, they have community standards, which is in one aspect, it's okay. But it's, on the other hand, it is not beneficial completely to stopping and guarding the youth that are being exploited on that platform. Um, I would like to see better, and this would have to come, and I don't know how this could happen, but it would almost have to come from a personal, a person actually manning the, the visual, not just an algorithm, not just uh, bots, but something that can intercept visuals of younger faces, um, younger pictures. Um, there's just so much child, um, sexual abuse material and even like soft kitty porn kind of soft, um, that float around on platforms like that, that are just let, let through because they don't violate community standards, which is unreal to me. Um, but if you, and I've had personal experience with this, I was on a post one day that was just, it was a Christian, uh, kind of a, a funny meme kind of a group. And it was a Christian based group. So it was very lighthearted, very uplifting, nothing derogatory on this page. And I was happening to scroll through, uh, the comment section and I saw a thumbnail comment that had a little picture and a link. And in the picture, it was a younger Asian girl, very provocative. And I was like, let me, you know, everything about that just red flagged me. So I clicked on it and it was a link out of webs out of Facebook into another website that was literally porn. Then it was on this. So I reported it to their, the, the admin of that page. Hey, flag this, take it off. Um, so it's just people's eyes on there catching things. But I also reported it to Facebook um, administrative team and they responded back maybe two days later and said that they did not remove the post because it didn't violate community standards. While at the same time, I was trying to get a paid ad that I was paying for to put on Facebook that was marketing anti-human trafficking efforts. And they responded to me and said that it was too sensitive of content and they wouldn't allow my ad to go on. So we're dropping the ball. <laughs> <laughs> we won't catch the people doing it because they can get through Facebook standards, the algorithm. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, right. I do swim lessons. Report it. I do swim lessons and I have a picture of me with a dolphin and they told me that I couldn't have that post because they thought I was selling animals. 
Yeah, I'm selling this dolphin. <laughs> selling but a dolphin. Let me post all these. I mean, there's literally groups that are on Facebook that are called um, like generic names, like kid models, child models. And you go on these groups and some of them are a little, you know, extra words thrown in there. Not nothing like vulgar or anything. Right. So you go on this and you, you know, for the, the uneducated eye, it would look like, oh, look at these cute little kid models. No, when you look at them, they're not cute little kid models. And when you look at the comment section, you can see all of the uh, 40, 50, 60 year old dirty men that are commenting on how cute those little babies are. So, and that yes. doesn't violate standards. Yeah, no, I, we definitely need to do a better job of that. Much. And honestly, like, I, and I don't, I mean, I think probably Facebook is probably the worst example um, of things that are allowed, or probably the best example of things that are allowed. But the worst example, as far as like anybody in the general population trying to take their own efforts to, to report and to say, hey, look, this is happening, they won't take it down. So, um, well, I thought yeah, if somebody yeah. could create. Somebody I, could create a software that could like facial recognition child stuff. That would be great. <laughs> and if it already exists, I'd love to know. Okay. Um, Cause I know, I mean, I know they've had a lot of issues with Pornhub and stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fans only. Or only fans or however it's only fans. Yeah. What are things you would like to see put in community to help prevent sex trafficking? Um, awareness and education. Um, the more people know, the better. You can, you know, once you learn of something, you can't unlearn it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And um, it's just, it's pretty awesome to see after time. Um, you know, like I said, we've been doing this since 2017. So to see the people that we have connected with and educated them, on the topic, how their eyes open up to it and they start spotting things. And, you know, it's better to question than it is to say nothing. So if it is nothing, at least you questioned it, you know? So if you see something, it, something as simple as, you know, I was an example, I was at a gas station and there was a girl who was clearly in my eyes. I knew that she was, if not trafficked, she was definitely being exploited. Um, most likely she was being trafficked, but just the simple question of, are you okay? Instead of, Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Is that passing question that nobody really wants the answer to anyway? And people can brush it off. Oh, I'm fine. You know, and keep on walking. But that eye to eye, are you okay? That's not a normal question to ask. So that can definitely open up a door um, for the victim to possibly feel safe enough to be like, you know what, I'm not okay. And I could use some help if they're able to say that. Um, so just being mindful of their surroundings, of your surroundings. Um, they're always, they always have eyes on them. Um, but yeah, just better awareness in the community and what to look for is very important. What are some long-term impacts you have seen survivors of sex trafficking? It stays with them for years. Um, they might heal from it. They might get stronger from it, but it, it rises up and, and the memories stick with them and the memories taunt them. Um, we've had some of our girls that have been out of the life now for, you know, four years and moved on. <clears throat> but every once in a while, you know, that wave of memory comes back and it, it's pretty paralyzing sometimes. Um, even on their best days, it still kind of lingers in the background. So, um, it's just definitely 
lifelong healing. Um, it's probably the worst living hell that anybody can live through. So it doesn't go away quickly. It's definitely long-term. Okay. Um, what percentage of those who are captured in sex trafficking come back alive? We have no idea. I have no idea what those numbers are. Um, the numbers that we can even go off of are so, honestly, they're, they're irrelevant. Um, the stats are nowhere near what the reality really is because the only stats that we get are what's actually reported, um, what's actually caught. Um, you know, you might see those news stories of the big bust that they do. I know Florida is so good at doing them. Um, in Polk County, I've been following Sheriff Grady since 2017, October of 2017. They do gigantic busts every year. So that gets reported. But there's so much on the lower level of like rural um, trafficking. And that has a completely different look than what would be like regular, like suburbia. Um, rural trafficking is a lot of uh, family to family. And that hardly ever gets spoken of because in small towns, everybody knows everybody. So that story can't get around, you know? And then also we don't hear the stories of like the super high end, you know, po you know, politician elite, even local politician and elite. We don't hear those stories. You know, those are ones that are, um, given to the elite position people as a gift or a bribe, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a gift and turns into a bribe and you don't hear those stories. Um, so we will never know how many are dead or alive, but I can promise you there's probably a lot more dead than alive. Um, especially when you look at just the, the numbers alone of the annual count for missing children, children just don't go missing. They don't just disappear. So when you see those numbers and, you know, you, how many Amber Alerts do you get? You know, when they had the, the faces on the milk cartons, how often did you see those? When you're at Walmart and you have the board of the missing faces, how many of those get found? You know, so that number, it's, it's astronomical and we'll never know. Okay. How much of it is parents selling their children versus children and young people being kidnapped? I honestly, in the rural setting, it's that is much more prevalent. It might not always be parents, but family members. Um, and it could just even be, a, you know, a circumstance of, you know, it could be looked at as sexual abuse. Um, but in essence, it's trafficking and trafficking in children um, is very different than trafficking of adults. So trafficking in children, um, there's an element in trafficking of force, fraud or coercion of adults. That's what they have to prove, that they were forced into it. Um, there was fraudulent, you know, activity or whatever. Like, come and work here and you'll get this and that never happens. Coercion, manipulation. If you don't do this, this will happen. Um, but with children, those elements, they don't apply. So a lot of times that can just come, that can look like sexual abuse or familial sexual abuse. Uh, but there was a, an instance of these uncles that were trafficking their eight-year-old niece out in the country and they were basically trading her to be able to get beer and cigarettes. So that is anything that's a value, a trade of any kind of value, whether it is a material item, money or work that's trafficking. So, um, yeah, that, that probably happens a lot more, um, than actual abduction. But there was a stint for a little while, um, down in Atlanta, I want to say probably in 2019, 
that there was a, a huge wave of children being abducted. Like people, like kids would be, I heard of a story of these two 14 year olds that were out on a date at, at the movie theater and both of them got taken. Kids were being taken out of front yards. Um, that happens, but usually the, the parent or family element is just easier um, under the very under the radar. So that happens a lot more often. Okay. Um, what advice would you want to give survivors? Hmm. You're loved and you're not broken. What they did to you doesn't define you at all. It's not your fault. And God made you perfectly and, and he can get you through this. And there are people that are out there that want to help you, that want to see you be the best version of you that you can be, that just want to love you for the sake of loving you. And you're not broken. Okay. Um, what advice would you like to give their family and friends who want to be supportive? Be patient. Be very patient. You want to, you know, when you get them home and, you know, you want to, you want to see them, you want to see them want to get better. And sometimes they don't know how to want that. Sometimes the want to go back is so much safer and comfortable because they know what to expect than it is to go forward and heal. That's a lot of work and they don't know what that is. So they'll retreat. So patience is huge. Um, you know, a lot of times family members, you know, it, well, let me back up a little bit. Life cycle of somebody who's been in the life, whether it starts out as child trafficking, that leaves a forever scar, like I said. So they could be trafficked as a child, come out and fall back into it because that's what they know. So it's it's a crazy cycle. And uh, a lot of times they'll come in and out, you know, five, six, seven times before they're one, before they're done or two the game is done with them and they don't come out so patience is huge patience and love and prayer prayer moves mountains <laughs> i could not agree more um what do you do for self-care in your line of work i seek jesus completely i refresh myself constantly um I have a very, very strong relationship with my father and, um, I just, I made, I made kind of a rule for myself that I protect my peace. So, you know, dealing in this, it's very emotionally draining. Um, we have to be like their emotion, their, I always say like their emotional equilibrium. So when they're having their high highs or their low lows, we have to be that balance. That's very draining. So, you know, a lot of rest, a good food, exercise, and a lot of, of prayer and just and intentionally choosing to be in his presence brings me peace. And it brings me back to like that firm foundation and it gives me strength. Um, how has doing this work impacted your faith? Oh, exponentially grown it completely. Me saying yes to him. I could have never imagined what our ministry would have looked like. On, on my own. I could not do this on my own. Nothing about this ministry is mine. It's completely his. 
and just surrendering that to him every day and watching what he does within it is just mind-blowing, awe-inspiring. It, it literally brings such a boldness to me of who he is and what he's done in my life and what he's done in these survivors' lives that I have so much confidence in him. I know who he is and I know what he does. I know what he's capable of doing. And I had a I had a revelation the other day of, you know, the, the verse that people love to say, oh, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it can move mountains, which is true. But if you have faith the size of a mountain, imagine what that'll do. You know, and I'm like, are we living our lives with a mustard seed or are we living our lives with a mountain? I want to live on that mountain and see what he's going to do. So, yeah, it has exponentially grown my faith in him. Okay, is there anything else you would like to add that we haven't asked? Uh, yeah, we are. Um, we're starting to do a national um, project expansion. Um, we started here in the St. Louis area. Um, we were very, very feet on the street and working with the girls that were um, out on the street or they were referred to us through um, law enforcement at the jails or hospitals or other organizations. Um, we did that for a about two and a half, three years, and it was pretty powerful. And um, we have a safe house right now um, that is about 45 minutes outside of the St. Louis area um, that will be back in operation soon. We've got uh, a septic issue that has to be taken care of, and it is a very, very high dollar ticket <laughs> to get done. Um, so once that's repaired, then we can get the house back open again. Um, but we are preparing to expand um, a couple of really cool things that are happening in that expansion. Um, one of our board members, she developed, uh, she's been a nurse for over 40 years and um, she just had gone in 2019 to get her bachelor's of science degree and her project uh, for her graduation, she created this observational uh, assessment tool and it was based off of our outreach program is called the Scarlet line and that is from the story of Rahab. And uh, for, I'll give the little snippet of the story of Rahab for those who don't know it. Uh, this is from the Bible, um, from the walls of Jericho. Rahab was a prostitute and her home was in the walls of Jericho. And um, the she housed spies that were coming in to check out over the wall to see if they could take over Jericho to win the promised land. And uh, she protected these spies. And they were from the other team, right? So the spies told her, well, for you doing that, for you risking yourself, you know, we, we want to protect you. So if you hang this scarlet line out of your window, when these walls fall down, you know, we'll protect this because of this scarlet line. So you bring anybody inside of your home that you want to protect. If there's anybody outside, the blood is on their hands. We're not going to protect them. If they're in the walls of your house, we will. We'll spare them. So she hung the wall out. The walls fell down. Her house was spared. And she was redeemed from a prostitute and she was put into the lineage of Jesus, which is really cool. <laughs> like talk about a story of redemption. So um, our outreach is called the Scarlet Line, their line to redemption. And our home is called the House of Rahab. Uh, so we started doing that and her assessment tool is called the Scarlet Scale. And that tool is for emergency rooms or urgent cares that when they come in, in, in contact with somebody that just, you know, their senses kick that we need to be checking and see if this is somebody who could potentially be trafficked. They have a observational set of 
things that they can look through. If they score a certain point, then they go to the next section, which is more of a, a light Q&A. So the, the potential victim has no idea that they're being questioned for, you know, to find out if they're a victim or not. Um, and then it, it progresses. If they get to a certain point scale, they get connected with a caseworker who can then help them get connected to the proper services for, to, for healing and to be able to get out of the life. So that is huge. It's being vetted right now. And uh, once that gets approved, which it will, I know it will, uh, that's going to be going into a huge medical database. It's called Epic, and that is the largest medical database, like software records in the country. So they're going to be building that into that system. Um, so that's pretty amazing to be able to, to help the hospitals, the front lines, be able to identify much better. But then we're also... Um, expanding to different states. I was on a different podcast um, back in August and it was the the Mel Kay show and she has a huge following and the show was great and I've gotten a lot of people reach out to me from across the country from that show and they have wanted to know what they could do in their area to be more active, to be more aware, to pull resources together. So we are teaming up with them and we are starting uh, Operation Ambush and so we're going to be our first state that we're starting to partner with is, uh, Indiana. And then I have somebody in New York that has reached out and somebody in California, uh, in Oklahoma. So that's pretty exciting. So just, we're making, uh, an intentional expansion of services across the country and we're intentionally reaching out to other faith-based, um, programs because we all speak the same language and it's just much, uh, stronger to connect with other organizations that do, follow that same path. So we're making the largest uh, faith-based Christ-centered service directory specifically for traffic victims. So, Okay. We've got a lot going on. I think that's it. Um, thank you for being on our show. Uh, uh, I think we're going to wrap up here. Uh, thanks guys for listening. Uh, Rachel and recovery is um, on Find, you can find on any podcast platform, and if you want to find us on social media, or as always, if you have any questions, uh, reach out to rachelandrecovery.com. Thanks for listening.